morning. Uh, as you can see, I shaved my head, so go ahead and get it all out. Uh, thank you, man. Donatello is what I prefer. Uh, that was my favorite Ninja Turtle. So um, I'll be light with you because I'll be heavy with you in just a moment. Um, I want to pre preaching through Isaiah. I'm glad to be with you this morning. I'm preaching through Isaiah 40, 1 through 12. Uh, and in God's providence, this passage is about comfort um, more than um, more than probably I'd like it to be, but uh, God does what he does. And so I want to do a quick intro to let you see where I'm coming from uh, to some level, uh, maybe even experience where I've been. And so... Uh, tomorrow marks two months uh, that my, my precious mother went, went home to spend eternity with God. Uh, so on October the 23rd, uh, three, in between 3 a.m. and 4 a.m., my, my life would uh, dramatically change, uh, and also many lives of, of my family members and close friends. At around 3 a.m., I got a phone call um, and I got a phone call from my father. Now, I, typically I'm not alone. My dad is a truck driver and he spends all kinds of nights driving and uh, all times of the nights driving. And so, uh, but he called again uh, right after that and I, something in my heart uh, said something's not right. And so I get on the phone um, and my dad is, you know, right at six foot and 270 pounds and, 280 pounds, and I've seen my father literally lift a car up off of a person uh, to save them from being um, smashed. But his voice was very weak. Uh, I've never heard my dad sound the way he did, and um, he said, hey, your mom uh, had a seizure, and what we later known was a heart attack, um, and has been non-responsive, and they've been working on her for 15 minutes. I said, okay. So I jumped out of the bed, I threw a shirt on, and I ran down into the garage, and I spent over the next 45 minutes just sitting there listening to my dad and the trembling in his voice uh, and the beeps and the sounds of people wrestling in the background trying to revive my mother. So I'd pray with my dad and I'd attempt to comfort him and uh, just seek God in this time. But, but deep down inside, like 15 minutes is already passed. There's another 15 minutes. Um, and after some um, faint pulses and uh, false hopes, they walked in and said the thing that they say typically in the movies. But it wasn't a movie for me. This was a reality. And they said, Mr. Anderson, speaking to my dad, like, hey, we, we've done everything that we could, um, and she did not recover. So my dad, who's been married to my, 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 my mom 37 years on that day, drops the phone, and I go in the house, shocked, anxious, but I was accepting but I was not okay. So I fixed me some chamomile tea, 
put a couple of Splendor packets in it. And I walked up my steps. It seemed like it took me forever, but I walked up my steps and I sat down on the side of my bed. As I was walking in, I told my wife, I said, my mom passed away. Uh, she didn't make it. And I just sat there and I was angry and I, I cried and I just continued trying to accept, but knowing that I wasn't okay with it. And so I cried and then my wife asked me, she said, what are you going to do? And I was like, I'm going to go outside and we'll go work out. Uh, part of that reason that I did that is because my mom has been like over the course of my life and anything that I've done, my mother has been the most encouraging to me. Uh, I'd post my little videos on Instagram primarily for my mom because I knew she'd comment uh, and it would cheer me up and I'd keep, you know, working out and running and doing stuff and trying to stay healthy. And I don't remember a time in my life where my mother spoke to me in a negative way. Uh, I'm not saying she didn't get on me. My mom was a tough cookie. Uh, she used to fight for her brothers. So, yeah, just speak a little bit about her. She was kind of tough. Uh, she won the uh, punt, pass, and kick competition when I was in Pee Wee football. So uh, my dad is a beast, but my mom is, you know, she's something else. So, uh, and so um, I wasn't okay. And so I went outside and I spent some time working out. And I'd work out and I'd cry. I'd work out and I'd cry. And this is where it got real for me the second time. It was this part of my workout where I had kind of settled down just a little bit, and then I felt these feelings that I've never felt or remember feeling in my life. They were so intense that um, I, I didn't know what to do with them. So I felt vulnerable. I felt alone. I, I had fear. I felt lost. I felt forgotten. I felt, um, I felt totally numb. But I was feeling all these things at the same time. I, I also felt hopeless and helpless. I felt like all of my guards were down and I was completely open and I had no protection. And I felt that I had this pain that nobody could speak to and nobody could fix. It was so intense at one point that all I could do was just grunt. I literally grunted for probably two minutes. There was nobody outside when this was happening, and I couldn't say any words. I couldn't even have tears come out of my eyes. I just grunted. I don't remember being a baby, but if this, what it, if, if, if this is what it feels like to be a baby that wants his mother, then I have a, a large amount of empathy and compassion for crying babies who want their mom. I stopped and I said out loud to Fabian, I said, wow, my body is literally yearning for everything possible to be comforted. If I had $1 million, I'd spend it in 45 minutes trying to comfort myself. If I had the opportunity to eat the most exquisite tenderest steak, I'd eat 10 of them to try to comfort myself. If I could drink the most refreshing drink and not worry about anything, I would drink to the point that I was a glutton. All I wanted was comfort, and I was aware that, that, that comfort would not come right now, and I knew that I would have to wait, but deep down inside, I knew that nothing or nobody on earth could satisfy what I was looking for. And I began to process and believe uh, and think through how I needed to adjust because 
if I were to try to seek that comfort from people, I'd only be let down. So why this story, right? It's Christmas time. We should be happy. Well, sometimes God has to comfort us. Uh, and typically from experience, in places where I've needed comfort, hadn't been most ideal. So I ask that you stand and as we are accustomed to here at Christ Central, I'll be reading Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 12. And my hope is that God's word would renew us. And so comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her. Her warfare is ended that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all the flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice cries, a voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. And the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Go on top, go, go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up and fear not, say it to the cities of Judah, behold your God, behold the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and he gently lead those who are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed in the dust of the earth in a measure? and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. Comfort my people. Comfort my people. Let me pray. God, we know that your word never fades as scripture has taught us. We know that you are faithful and your steadfast love endures forever. I want to say thank you for that. As we sit here and continue to worship you, God, I pray that you would grab our hearts captive of your love and of your comfort. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The prophet Isaiah proclaims the word of God to the people of Jerusalem because they are under this intense labor, this intense forced labor. They were slaves and they were working long hours under harsh conditions. Uh, this is not particularly a time for joy and this is not really a happy time. This is actually a time of pain and despair. This was a time of discipline 
for the sins that have been committed against God. But the prophetic words of comfort come, although it would not be now, the comfort of God would come soon. So though not all hardships are directly related to our personal sin, and uh, there can be a link to universal sin, we all know what happened in the garden, and not all goodness is related to our good deeds. That's why we have grace, it's unmerited favor that we get to partake of no matter what we've done. But we all can universally understand the need for comfort. We, we all can universally understand what it feels like to be in a place of despair. And so I want to lock in on comfort just a moment. What is comfort? Comfort uh, means to be in a state or a condition of finding relief from sorrow, uh, distressed, or so to be consoled or to be encouraged. In Latin, it literally means to strengthen greatly. And so the need for comfort means that there is a situation or some circumstance that is present that has caused you to be in a place of despair and sorrow. And so discomfort in itself can come from many places, but no matter who you are, in the midst of any form of discomfort, there is this desire for us deeply to be comforted. So there's this idea of emotional comfort where uh, from empathy and compassion from others, you receive emotional comfort or physical comfort provided by somebody in the form of touch or just even the presence of another person or uh, some type of action that is done towards you that brings you comfort. And then there's this mental comfort where uh, from, from words or encouraging thoughts. And then there's this idea that we have of spiritual comfort, right, through prayer and knowing that God in his steadfast love and his presence never fades. Whether that's prayer from other people or you praying, there's this idea of spiritual comfort. And so for me, if I'm honest, in my time of distress and me grieving my mother's loss, the only way that I felt that I could be comforted was through physical involvement, right? So my mom passes away, it's 3 a.m., uh, 4 a.m., she, well, she, she's, I get the call around 3, at 4 a.m., tip, I typically wake up to go work out, and so my wife is asking me around 5-ish, hey, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to go work out. So I went outside because that was the place that I found comfort. I needed to push something. I needed to punch something. I needed to lift something. I needed to run. I needed to sweat. I needed to move. And as I was doing those things, grief would come in and like shut me down. But that's what I needed. That's where I was at. My wife embracing me and her presence comforted me. My kids touching me and hugging on me, that comforted me. It gave me this sense of reality because this had to be a fantasy that my mother passed away or some type of dream. My friends driving from Louisiana overnight to work out with me the next morning and not saying a single word about my mother passing away, but just being present with me and working out with me, comforted me. 
from our church, people bringing gifts and food and flowers and labeling things. Like somebody brought us a dish and it, everything was labeled. And I was like, yo, this is awesome. People like pressed in so much to, to demonstrate their gifts to us that folks were literally being the hands of feet to me and my family of God. And so here in this season, we, we see that this scripture, that the, the proclamation of com to, to comfort people, to God, comfort God's people in distress, what, what we see here is a picture of grace. We, we see a picture of love. We see a picture of restoration. We see here a proclamation of a beautiful message of the gospel of Jesus that leads us to the God of comfort. Although it may not be right now, it will be. Sometimes when you're in a place of discomfort, you, you cry. Or in my case, after you've all cried out, you grunt. Verse 3 says that a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a way for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low and the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A call, a voice cries, a call. This is a, this is a call, a warning to prepare and it's not an ideal situation. It's a call to prepare in the wilderness, a place of emptiness. It's a call to prepare in the desert, a wasteland. These are not places of optimal conditions. It's hard to get your bearings. You ever, I'm not a hiker, but I've been hiking before and I got lost out in this park. And I, that's not me, I don't do that. I'm, you know, maybe I'll go again with some more advanced hikers, but. I didn't have my bearings. I didn't know where I was at, and that kind of freaked me out. Like, I didn't know which way was which. Maybe I should have known that, but I didn't. You ever been in a place, metaphorically, where you are lost and you feel forgotten? These are the places where the conditions are not in your favor, where the circumstances make you feel hopeless. These are the places that we begin to doubt God. And, but I'd like to say that these are the places that are a fertile ground for us to expect and hope the God of comfort. These are not ideal conditions is, is what I'm trying to say. And these, these are the places that we cry. These are the places where we actually begin to see our limitations and then we see our pain and we see our offenses and we can no longer keep silent and we have to cry. I said this earlier, but I cried so much that I was only able to grunt. But let me say something very significant about this grunt that I'm speaking about. In that grunt, I knew wholeheartedly that God heard me. I knew wholeheartedly that I did not have to explain my grunt. I knew that he had me but I also felt the pain that was present. 
So it's in our wilderness, in our desert, that we must bear down and make the pathways of our hearts and minds clear and straight, resting in the power and the grace of God, and trusting with a capital T, Him, and waiting with a capital W, with expectancy with a capital E, for the glory of God to be revealed in our desolate place. The tension is here. Let me share the tension. The tension is here. The tension is this. The tension is that in our culture, oftentimes, we lust for optimal conditions before we get the urgency to act. What do I mean by that? Well, I'll share with you what I mean. I mean that the, the money has to be optimal, right? Uh, the house has to be optimal. The, the kids have to be optimal. I myself need to be optimal, working things in my favor. They, but, but this is what I'm saying. The voice is calling and essentially saying, no more excuses. I want you to make way for me and my glory in the midst of you not having it all together. In the midst of the place where you are in the wilderness, in the place where you are desolate and I feel far off from you, that's where I want you to reveal my glory. I'm calling you while you are in your wilderness place. I am calling you while you are in your desert and your wasteland, and I'm calling you in the place where you actually don't have it all together. And I'm telling you to get up. I had to preach my mother's funeral. And I'm a pastor, but I hate funerals and I hate death. None of these were optimal, favorable conditions for me. And let me, let me add a few more. I was depressed. I was anxious, I was grieving, I had to wear two hats. One, I wanted to be a son that just was able to, to be with his mother one more time, and the other was I needed to be a preacher and a pastor and proclaim the message of the gospel. How do I deal with that? I don't know. I was anxious, I was grieving, I didn't know what to say, I, I didn't know if I could do it, I was tired. We drove 22 hours from North Carolina, we were staying in a small hotel room with four kids and my wife, and let me tell you how small the room was, we set off the fire alarm from the steam of the shower. <laughs> Literally almost had to evacuate the hotel. The fire alarm is going off and I'm like, man, we about to be outside cold and my mother's dead. Like, that's just, that's fine. You can laugh. I got a little bit of a sense of humor. <laughs> and to top it off, I got a ticket in a place called Waterproof, Louisiana. Listen, I'm going to be honest. I was speeding. I'm not going to lie. I didn't argue with the guy when he pulled up on me. I was in Waterproof, Louisiana in an all-black SUV with six black people in it with tags from North Carolina, and it was nothing but cotton fields. And I was like, yo, I need to get to 20 as fast as I can. <laughs> but let me tell you about this. There was even a little bit of grace in that. Guy walks up to me. He said, hey, man. I said, hey. He said, how about we change that speeding ticket to a seatbelt ticket? I said, I'll take that. You my guy. And we drove on, and he followed us for a little bit, and as soon as he turned off, I rolled out. <laughs> Say that with this, but I knew that I had a unique opportunity. Listen, I knew that I had a 
unique opportunity to be a voice yelling from the wilderness in my own personal desert to be able to proclaim the message of the gospel to people who were in a wilderness, in a desert place, as they were grieving the loss of sister, mother, and friend, and auntie, and God gave me that opportunity, so I didn't have time to get it together. I did not have time to make things right. I had to be a voice crying, and God gave me strength, and people gave me strength, and it was able to happen. But I was able to do that because I also knew this. I knew, I knew this. The place that I'm currently in is not eternal. The place of emptiness is not forever. No matter how deep your doubts are and how much your fears and your cynical cycles tell you, like, this is not it. This was not the last place. No, no matter how loudly your depression screams, no matter how dizzy your anxiety makes you throughout the day, the deep heartache that you have, the crisis, your desert, your wilderness does not have the last say. God does. And his glory is to be revealed in all ways and in all things because he alone, alone himself, not needed of anything else, has the power. And so, to me, it was like, it was no more that I'm not ready yet or no, no more that I, I need to, no, prepare a way in your wilderness. Prepare a way in your, your wasteland. It, no more when I get things settled. No the, no, the voice is crying out and calling you to get your attention, to prepare a way in the desert. Listen to this. Optimal conditions are not necessary for godliness. In fact, when the conditions of your life are not optimal, it can be the breeding ground for deep-rooted faith and growth. We don't like that. But God literally knows what's best for us. If you don't believe me, let's just ask Jesus. Mary, pregnant, not married, the Holy Spirit in this unique pregnancy with the Son of God, Joseph is like, bro, what is going on? Right? The Holy Spirit comforts Joseph. I got you. He's still scared. I would be too. The Holy Spirit says, hey, I trust you. Then you have this situation with a manger, and then you have Nazareth, and it says, like, what good can come out of this place? Then you have the Garden of Gethsemane when he says, hey, if it's possible, let these things pass for me, but nevertheless, not my will, but, but your will. And then we have Golgotha, and then the cross and the beatings. This is not an ideal situation. These are not optimal circumstances. Jesus is not living in his best life. But the fruit of it was death was defeated. Our debts were paid. This new life through Christ that we are able to be partakers of, of this divine nature because of the work that Jesus did on the cross and we have a savior. And scripture says this, even more fruit in Hebrews chapter five, I mean chapter four, verses 15 through 16, it says that, but we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one in every respect has been, who has been tempted as we are yet without sin. 
So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Somebody should say amen. He's there to comfort us in our time of need. It says, go up to the high mountain, Hosea, in verse 9, herald of, of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, herald of, uh, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift up, lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. So we've had this call to comfort the people that has been proclaimed. We, this call to prepare a way that has been, that been made and the way has been prepared. And now we get to see and we get to feel the comfort of the Lord. He has his reward with him. Uh, when I come home, sometimes my, my kids are often standing in the door. They hear the garage raise and They'll either greet me in the garage or they'll be standing at the door waiting for me to walk in. They're ready to embrace me and I'm ready to embrace them as well. And oftentimes they say the biggest question is, Dad, what do you have for me? What did you bring me? Listen, they want a treat. I've been gone. I've taken time away. They need me to pay them back for that. And I often fall in that trap. Um, and so I know that they want, I know what they're thinking about, I know this, and sometimes I just bring them something. And, and sometimes this is my fault because I promised them something a year ago uh, from some type of bribery or dysfunctional parenting that I practice, and I never got it. And, and so I need, to, I need to own up and do that. And so uh, the Dollar Tree, a $5 bill, uh, in a few minutes, in an ungodly long line, like... Every time I go to the Dollar Tree, I'm like, I think I'm wasting my money and time. Like, this is a dollar, but like, I wasted 40 standing here. <laughs> Either way, it's totally worth it. They're going to break it in 5.5 seconds. Uh, but they love it. They want to know that I was thinking about them. Uh, they want to know that I, that I brought gifts. They, they want to feel comforted and loved. And this passage says that when he, when he shows up, he's strong. He is the good shepherd. He, he has gifts with him, but he has rewards with him. But the, the thing that caught my attention is him. He's strong. He's the good shepherd. He, he gathers us in his arms, and he, he brings us close to his chest, and he carries us close to his heart. And he has room for the strongest and the smallest and the biggest and the most vulnerable. And he whispers to us closely, I measured the waters in my hand. I have you. I marked out the heavens, and I, I know their dimensions. And he says, I got you. And he says, I gathered the dust, and I actually know the measurements of it in all of the earth. And he says, but, but you, you are mine. He says, I know how much that mountain weighs, and I just want to let you know that it's okay. I know that you think that I can't heal you, 
And I know that you really think that I, that I can't restore you. I know that you really think that I can't comfort you or that you don't have any value or that things won't work out. And I know that you really think that this wilderness and this desert is your last spot, but it's not. We can be comforted because we know and are known by the God of comfort. He is our hope. He is our comfort. And when we are in this place of despair, when we're in the desert and when we're in the wilderness, when the days and the nights are equally dark, when joy seems to be unattainable, when things seem to be not working out for you, not favorable, these non-optimal uh, situations, he looks at us again and he says, hey, I know you doubt. I know you fear. I know that you're angry, but can you just come a little bit closer? Let me tell you about me. This is one of my mother's favorite passages, and I believe in God's providence that uh, this time was set out way before. And so I'm preaching Isaiah 40, and my mom's passage, we, like we grew up on Isaiah 40, 28 through 31, and it's just so fitting. And God says, listen, come closer. Lean in a little bit more. Get closer to my heart. He says, listen, have you not known? Have you not heard that? The Lord is everlasting God. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him that has no might, he increases the strength. Even youth shall fall and be exhausted and, and young men shall faint and be weary. He says, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Isn't that true? Let's pray. God, you're gracious, and um, I'm grateful. Thank you for your power. Thank you for grace. Thank you for how you love us, and you bring us close, even, even when we want to stiff arm you. Even when we doubt you, you tell us that you have us. And I'm grateful and I'm thankful. Thank you for the folks in this room. Be with them. In Jesus' name, amen.